Welcome to the Sermon of the Week. Before you begin listening, let me pray that you would encounter God right where you are. Father, I ask that your Spirit would be present wherever people are listening. May they be aware of your presence and receptive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you listen to this week's message. Um, so today, um, we're going to close our uh, series, Bronze Shields Won't Do. And I want us to kind of get back into the scripture in First Kings chapter 14. And as I stated other times, the, the main idea and the goal of this series uh, talking about gold shields that we need to reclaim, principles uh, that we may have either taken for granted or that we have over time diluted, we, we watered them down. Uh, we, uh, let's read our text together, actually. Let's start with that, and then we'll, um, we'll get back into uh, some of the other principles. So it says, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem. He carried off the treasures of the temple and of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including the gold shield Solomon had made. And so King Rehoboam made shields to replace them and assigned them to the commanders. He made bronze shields, sorry, to replace them and assigned them to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance of the royal palace. Whenever the king went to the Lord's temple, the guards bore the shields, and afterwards they returned them to the guard room. <clears throat> uh, to, to, give a, uh, to give you a very brief context in what we have been sharing over the past uh, number of weeks, and uh, if you haven't been here for those, you'd have to check them uh, online. I can't really get into all of them, but King Shishak of Egypt attacked the nation of Israel. Uh, they had been, 450 years before, had been humiliated by the nation of Israel when they left Egypt. Uh, you remember what happened. The, the Red Sea opened up and, and uh, you know, all of the army of the Egyptian was basically engulfed in the, in the water. And, uh, and so 450 years later, the nation of Egypt was no longer this little weak, frail nation that had been really literally attacked by the Lord 450 years later, earlier. This was now a nation that was in reconstruction. They had rebuilt their military, and so they were ready to reclaim. And so they attacked the people of Israel. And the Bible says that they went into the temple, and they took literally everything. They stripped it of all of its gold. Everything that was in the royal palace uh, was taken out, taken away. And so in order probably, and I don't know, that's just my opinion, because this particular chapter and, and, and this illustration is somewhat unique. You would think that the Bible would give you like these incredible stories that teach us amazing things, but all that it's saying to us is that Rehoboam lost all the gold shields and they replaced them with bronze shields. There's got to be a lesson somewhere there, right? Wouldn't you say the Bible doesn't, you know, nothing is written haphazardly and, and by happen chance. And so this, I believe, is one of those scriptures and passages that is teaching us to make sure in our Christian life that we never replace those gold, those important principles of the word or water them down or lose their effect over time because it's so incredibly important. And so 
today I'm going to be talking about the final component that I want to share with you. And it's, a, it's another shield of sorts, but it's a shield that needs to be part of our armor as believers. I'm sure you've already guessed what that is. It's the shield of faith. And it's a shield that we need to walk our walk in faith. So let's start by defining faith and why we have a need for faith in our, in our lives. We talk a lot about the principle of faith, but why is it so important? Now, I want to share with you the scripture that we all know in Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 1 to 6. And it says, now faith, and you could stop right there and preach uh, probably for an hour just on those three words, because Faith is an action, is a now word, is a right now word. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I want to skip ahead and where it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord, to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe first, right? We first believe that, that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, when it comes to faith and the concept of faith in this chapter of Hebrews 11, which we call the chapter of faith, it really is pretty much black and white. There's really not a whole lot to say that's, that's, that you can just uh, play with, right? It's like, you know what? You've got to have faith because without faith, you can't please God. Plain and simple. I don't know that we can uh, take this scripture and try to interpret it or explain ourselves out of not having faith. It's clear we must have faith. I believe that God's blessings follow when we walk in faith. It's clear. Now, faith is, we just read it, faith is confidence. It's assurance. The word in Greek is the word hypostasis, which speaks of more than just an assurance or, or a confidence, but it actually speaks of conviction. It is not a hope that we're putting on God, some kind of a vague hope, or I will call it wishful thinking. That's not what faith is. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is confidence that God is, uh, uh, confidence that is settled on the nature of God and the character of God who is constant and never changes. I'm going to repeat that again. I think it's on the screen, right? Yeah. Faith is confidence that is settled on the nature and the character of our God who is constant and never changes. You see, faith is substance, is substantial. It's not just some vague concept. God never changes. Therefore, we must embrace the concept of faith the way that God wants us to embrace it. Now, in James chapter 1 and verse 17, uh, we read this scripture. It says, everything good comes from God. Amen to that, right? It is so good. And faith is one of those things. I'm actually going to read it to you in the ERV, which is the easy-to-read version, in case you've never seen this before. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that you guys understood it clearly. There is such a version. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> 
ERV. Everything good comes from God. Every perfect gift is from Him. Those good gifts come down from the Father who made all the lights in the sky. Isn't that a little easier to understand? I think it is. But God never changes like the shadows from those lights. He is always the same. Isn't that amazing? God never changes. I mean, sometimes I get up in the morning and I'm grouchy and I'm, I'm like, give me five cups of coffee today because it's probably going to take at least five to get it out of my system. I don't know. Uh, you know, Lois and I have kind of like learned that when, you know, you wake up with that kind of an attitude, <laughs> be honest. Uh, it's probably good not to have lengthy conversation about controversial topics. And may I suggest, husbands and wives, that you do the same. If you want to keep the peace, it's a good thing. You know, God is always the same. We are not. We change. We go through things in life, problems, circumstances that assail us sometimes, and it's not easy to deal with life. But you know what? God is constant. He's consistent. I can trust a consistent, a constant God. Our trouble sometimes is putting our faith and our trust in people. That's not God. You can trust that God. He never changes. He never changes. The story of uh, this family, one night the house uh, caught fire, and uh, the, the, the husband and the wife and, and, uh, and one of their children just ran out, but there was a little boy that was in one of the rooms, and, and the, the flames were engulfing the house, and so the little boy, in order to escape, he went right, up on, uh, right out the window up on the roof, and he was out there, and the father on the ground is screaming at him, he's saying, son, you need to jump. He knew that the only way that that boy would be saved was for him to jump from the roof down to his father. He says, I will catch you. Jump. But all the boy could see was flames and, and smoke. And, and it just it was, not, it was dark and night. So he could not see anything other than that. All the flames, all the smoke, all the blackness surrounding. And so, as you can imagine, he was afraid to jump. His father kept telling him, at him and saying, jump, son, I will catch you. And the boy kept saying, daddy, I can't see you. I can't see you. I don't know where to go. It's at that point that the father said, but I can see you. And that's what matters, jump. And he finally jumped and he caught him. Isn't that a picture of our heavenly father? We go through situations and trials in our lives when all we see is flames and fire and, and, and smoke and darkness. I know from being, you know, and speaking to some of you guys, I know you're going through situations right now where all you see is flames and smoke and darkness, and it's hard to see the way out, but I want you to know that God is calling on you today. He's calling you out, and he's saying, jump, trust me, jump, because I'll be there to catch you. Faith in God is a faith that believes that God will never let you down. He will never let me down. Can you not trust a God like that? 
He is constant. He's committed to us. He loves us, and he will never abandon us. The topic of faith, friends, is a huge topic. I know that I'm not going to do it justice today, but I just want to share just a few basic principles and basic concepts about faith that I hope will bless you today. And then probably in the uh, weeks, days and weeks to come, you can probably look at the, the scriptures, you know, Google the word faith and just look at all the verses about faith. There are so many of them. It's incredible. But let me share with you a few principles. First of all, I want to say that we need faith to accept Christ. I mean, it all starts at this point. It's a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite. For, for those of you who are techies and tech nerds, you know that when you have a prerequisite in technology, that means that you need to have certain things working in order for a software to be installed. So there's software that say, hey, you know what, you need to have you know, 16 gigs of RAM and, and one terabytes of data because it's going to just make, you know, it's going to Take most of, of the data on your machine and make sure you install a data folder on a separate, I mean, like I'm, I'm talking the techno language as probably Joe is a little familiar with and some of you guys probably would as well. But, you know, it's a prerequisite, right? If you don't meet those prerequisites, that means you can't install certain things. You can't advance. And you know what? Faith is the same thing. It's a prerequisite for all of us in order to understand who God is and accept Christ. It's a biblical truth that we must understand that faith is a requirement. You know what, guys? You can, uh, you know, and I, I believe me when I tell you, archaeology and all the proof and all the stuff that's coming out, it's fantastic. But it only appeals right here. It strengthens what's in here, but it appeals primarily to the mind. To believe in a God that is spirit and invisible, you need faith. How many of you would agree with that? You need faith. We need faith. Jesus told Thomas in chapter 20 of uh, John, verse 29, it says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We need faith in order to understand that what God has promised in Jesus is what we need for our lives. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, uh, it says very clearly that in order to accept Jesus as our Lord, it cannot be done unless the Holy Spirit reveals him to us. Now, some people that you have prayed for, and you have, you know, you're believing for, pray that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of their understanding because when the Holy Spirit enlightens who Jesus is in their lives, all of a sudden, wow, yeah, that's the missing point. It's the missing element. Faith is required to accept Jesus because it's a supernatural encounter. It is not just a normal, regular relationship. But the second thing I want to share with you is a little bit about our struggle with faith. I think we all struggle sometimes with faith. Now, having faith in God consistently can be a struggle. If I were to ask you, and you were to be truly honest with me today, and I would say, how many of you have had struggles with your faith? Raise your hand. At one point or another. Come on, put it up again, please. 
All right. I just want to see that. Okay, see, there's honest people out there. We all do. We have struggles with faith, with faith, with keeping a constant, consistent faith. Imagine for a moment the disciples, the 12 that walked with Jesus. They saw him perform miracles, signs and wonders. I mean, blind people, Jesus goes to them, the, the, the blind man, and he prays over him. His eyes are open. He goes to the next person who is a paralytic. He hasn't walked all of his life. He prays over him. He walks. The disciples are watching all of this. And yet they struggled with their faith. They prayed for somebody one day when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus came down. They said, Jesus, we couldn't do anything here. They were struggling with their faith. They were having a, t- a hard time understanding and accepting why they could not do what Jesus was doing. And Jesus gave them a lesson right there. If you struggle with having consistent faith, you're not alone. Let me read you Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. It says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told his disciples. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Faith creates the bridge into the impossibilities of God. But there are difficulties that we encounter at times in order to accept that level of faith. You don't have faith. And Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, let me, let me, you know, for many years I've wondered, okay, Jesus is saying, seed of Mustard seed, okay, uh, so mustard seed, you know, we've, we've heard it and we've said it, that the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds on earth that creates this enormous tree and plant, and that's true. But really, in reality, Jesus was illustrating a principle here. It wasn't to be taken literal. In fact, uh, you know, using the illustration of the mustard seed and, and um, uh, that you could say to a mountain move was very common as, a, as an analogy, as a uh, metaphor in Jewish literature. In fact, you can read it through the book of Isaiah. There's a number of times that it talks about this metaphor of the seed moving mountains. You know, moving, you can speak and you can move mountains. That, the point is that we need faith. However small that faith is, it is a bridge into the impossibilities of God. Our lives. Now we should be open to admit our struggle of faith, and that's one thing that uh, that that's hard for us to do. It's hard to to look at somebody and say, "I'm struggling with my faith. I'm I'm struggling believing God for my life. I'm struggling seeing God coming through in this situation. I'm having a difficulty seeing my son saved or my daughter saved or you know a better job come to pass or seeing God touch a family member that you've been praying for or maybe for a sickness or something that you're struggling in your body with. Sometimes it's hard." That's why we need faith. That's why faith creates that bridge into the impossibilities. We should be open to share 
our faith. You know, in, Ma- in Mark chapter 9, there was a man whose son would throw himself into the fire. And he was such a concerned man. He went to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus, what he said to Jesus. He said, Lord, I believe. I believe that you can. How many of you have been there? God, I believe that you can. You can do anything. We read the same Bible, friends. We read the same stories in the Bible. This Jesus who did these incredible things throughout his ministry on earth. This man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. We're going to take some time today together as a church family and pray for one another and say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. In Matthew 18, 19, and 20, again, Jesus said, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three agree in my name, there I am with them. There am I with them. We need each other. The struggle of faith cannot be fought alone. I'm going to say that again. The struggle of faith cannot be fought alone. You need somebody. There are times when you are going to be hitting your head against the wall in frustration because you know that you should have more faith. And why don't I have faith to see God do all these things? I see it. I I see God doing it in somebody else's life, but not in my life. Why is that so? Friends, this is not to condemn or, or to make us feel like we are in a bad place spiritually. You're not in a bad place spiritually. There are times where our faith is shaken up. And our resolve is tested. That's why the scripture says that in the last days, everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Our faith has to be grounded. The roots of our faith, that mustard seed of faith, needs to be grounded in the truth of who God is. I can agree with a brother and sister I can agree with someone that maybe is in a better place in their faith, in their, in their faith journey with God. You know, it's called the power of agreement. That's why we need one another. Faith deals with the unseen. It's the unseen. That's why it's hard to believe sometimes. That's why we struggle with our faith because it's the substance of things, of the evidence of things not seen. That, you know what? How do you... See something that is not seen and it becoming an evidence. It's a paradox. That's what faith is. That's why we need faith. We need faith. You see, seeing and acting is not faith. When you see and you act on what you see, you're just practicing what you're seeing. Practicing faith is trusting, believing, leaning on something invisible that will give you what you need. Faith anticipates. Faith is the substance of what we hope. 
And in order to see what we hope, we need to walk in obedience to God and in communion with Him. It all hinges on our fellowship and our obedience to God. The more we see God in our daily circumstances, the more we trust Him in our daily circumstances, the more we will have hope in God, the more we will lean on God. It's, a, it's something that we need to practice over and over and over again. If you have stumbled and failed on your faith, get up, try again. God does not judge you. He's not standing. I, I think we talked about it last time. Our vision and our view of God at times is that old man in heaven that's just ready to punish us when we fail. That is not God. God loves you. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to thrive. And faith is that vehicle, that mechanism that will cause us to grow and thrive in God. And the more faith grows inside of you, the more you will believe, the more you will see the glory of God, the more you will be encouraged and you will see miracles all over. And then you're going to look around and say, wow, look at what happened here. Look at what happened there. That is the power of faith. We can trust our God. The more we see him in our daily circumstances, the more we will sense that faith is really Truly relational. It's relationship with God. We are united to God in fellowship. And because faith is this substance, like I said before, faith is substantial. We need to align ourselves not only to the truth about faith. Now hear me out, guys. We need to have faith. We align ourselves to the truth about faith. But here's what we really truly need. We need to believe in the God that gives faith. When we align ourselves to God's plans and purposes for our lives, when we align ourselves to the Word of God and we read this Word and meditate on this Word and believe that God is a God of faith who wants us to receive everything that His Word promises to us, then faith becomes a little easier. I can work with this. I, I, I can trust this God because I'm finding him to be truthful. I find him to be a blessing. I, I get up in the morning and I want to talk to God. I don't want to do my thing. I want to I stop and I want to share with him my struggles. We should all have that desire in our lives. You know, life and life circumstances sometimes can choke our faith because we are so taken up by the worries of life. That's why Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, hey, just realize this, that I take care of the flowers of the field. I take care of the birds of the air. How much more will I take care of you? Jesus said, if a father, that is human man, will not give his son a stone if he asked for a piece of bread or a serpent if he asked for a fish. Will I not give you the Holy Spirit? Will I, will I not give you whatever? Again, it's an analogy for everything because God is a good God. He's a perfect Father. He's not, unlike our fathers, unlike the experiences that we may have had through our lives, of the, whether good or bad, God is better. 
in every sense of the word. Because faith is substantial, we align ourselves to God, to a God of faith. Faith without God, friends, is just a word. Walking in faith means walking with God. This missionary, Robert Moffat, he was a missionary to the, uh, I'm probably going to mess this word up for you South Africans out there, but is the Betuanalands, 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 is that right, Ryan, am I saying that right? The Betuanalands in South Africa. I don't know where that is, but I know the story of this man, Robert Moffat. He went there and did not, I mean, for years he was preaching the gospel to these villagers, never saw a single person come to Christ. Robert was from England, and so his friends wrote him a letter and said, Robert, how can we bless you? What can we send you? Is there anything that we can send you to just help you out? I know that you've been struggling. And you know what he said to them? He said, send me a, um, a, a communion kit, a communion set. I want, they said a communion set? He, they knew that he had not seen a single convert for all the years that he pre- preached in the Betuana land, South Africa. And so they obliged. They said, okay, we'll send you this communion set. As you can imagine, way back, they did not have airplanes, cargo planes. It went there by ship and by boat, and I don't know how else it got there, but it got there. By that time, there were dozens of Betuana land believers and so he was able to administer the first communion to those believers. Isn't that powerful? What is that as an example of? It's an example of this, that faith, faith comes alive when we run out of options. And that's our third point. Faith comes alive when we run out of options. Now, we live in a world when there are so many options. We have probably too many options from restaurants. I mean, you go to some restaurants and their menu selection is like pages. If I go to a restaurant that has menu, pages on menu, I walk out. I'm like, these people don't know what they're cooking. They haven't decided if, you know, what's good or bad. I'm just saying. That's just me. Selection in grocery stores, gas station, and even churches. Come on, let's face it. Especially in the South, we have churches everywhere. There's so much choice. Now, let me say this to you. If you live in a remote village somewhere in the heart of Africa, and you're stricken with a sickness that requires medical intervention, but the first doctor away will mean taking, I don't know, a boat one day, and then, and by the time you get there, you're dead. What do you do? You go to God. You trust God. You believe that God can do it. And so you stand on the promises of his word because what? You have no other, we have no other option. Now bring that same person with the same sickness, the same issues right here in the city of Charlotte. 
what's the first option? Go to the... Am I saying that hospitals are bad? Am I saying that doctors are, are bad? Absolutely not. But what I'm saying is that our response mechanism is geared toward the visible. It's geared toward the quick and easy options. We're not trained to think, oh, wait, wait a minute, you know, I'm just going to, before I trust in everybody else, I'm going to trust in God. Can you imagine if we would do that? I lost my job. What's the first thing? I'm going to go to LinkedIn and just, you know, just put myself available there, just ready for work. Am I saying that that's bad? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not looking for a job, by the way. <laughs> I think Robert was looking at me like, well, you're on LinkedIn. You're looking for a job. I'm not looking for a job. But I'm on there. When I did, when I was looking for a job, I, you know, you get the point. Our reactions, our thinking process, our rational mechanism goes to the quick and easy when it comes to God. Why wait? Why wait and pray? Like why why wait on God when I can just I can just go get it done myself? We have all of these options. We have all of the resources that we have at our disposal. But you know what? Before we go to the resources, we have got to go to the source. To the source. That's God. He's the source of our faith. So, you know what? God, friends, still responds to faith. It is the evidence of things unseen. And so I'm challenging us today that it, we don't have to go to God when we run out of options. We don't just have to go to God when we don't know where else to go. Let's go to God first and foremost. Finally, um, as a final point about faith, faith is critical to access the supernatural. When you look at chapter 11 of Hebrew, the hall of faith chapter, as it's commonly called, faith is that, again, that critical mechanism that they, these individuals, engage in order to access the realm of the supernaturals. Those stories that we read about, those incredible encounters, those great things that took place during their time, they use the, their faith to access that realm. Now, one thing that strikes me is that they did not have the Holy Spirit, they did not have the direction of the Holy Spirit as in the way that we have received the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. But they trusted God and a God that would act on their behalf because they had a relationship with God. They talked with God. They talked with Him. They walked with Him. Now, there are many examples on the list of um, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but I want to mention one that's actually not there, actually a couple of them that are not there, from two of my favorite prophets in the Bible, Elijah and Elisha, but particularly Elijah. Elijah, you remember, on Mount Carmel, had the showdown with the prophets of Baal. When we went to Israel, 
uh, going on Mount Carmel was just a spectacular thing because when you stand on Mount Carmel, you can literally pivot 360 degrees and you see all the other mountains and the, and the, and the towns below. Everything is visible to, to Mount Carmel. No wonder why God chose Mount Carmel. That was an incredible display of God's power. Later on, we read about the widow of Zarephath, where uh, there was a famine in the land, and Elijah went there and he told the woman, hey, I'm hungry, make me something to eat. And she said, well, I have a little bit of oil and flour, and I'm, I was just going to make a cake for me and my son, and then we were just going to die because there was famine in the land for years. And he said to her, he says, hey, you know what, before you do it to yourself, uh, just go make me that cake and don't worry about the rest. I mean, like, what a selfish prophet, right? Not at all. What a prophet of faith. Yes. Because then he told her, you know what? Just go get as many jars as you got and just tell them to go fill every jar with oil. And you know what? That woman was never, did not ever lack anything throughout the famine. Because God provided everything that they needed. The flour never ran out. The oil never ran out. But then later on, that boy died. And it was like, well, prophet of God, what have you done? Like you fed us so that we didn't die, but now my son is dead. Don't worry about it. I got this. God got this. He laid over that boy. And life came right back to him. That's incredible. That's a life of faith. That's a life that trusts God will do what he promises in his word. God can do the impossible. Elijah and the many others in the hall of faith, they believed, they trusted, and they saw God do great things, humanly impossible things. I would say even some crazy stuff. Humanly does not make any sense. That's how God operates in the realm of faith, in the realm of supernatural. We are more used to operating in the natural realm, all of us, with all the options that we have. But sometimes we need to forget the human options and tap into faith and move into the supernatural realm. Because you know what? God can. And God will when we choose faith. God can and God will. A commentator said this, faith does not force God to do what he never planned to do, but it accesses what he has already planned to do as he sees that we are trusting him to do it. I want to read that again. Faith does not force God to do what he never planned to do. Your faith will not force God to step outside of the realm of what he already planned to do. His sovereign will is manifested at all times. But it accesses, accesses what he has already planned to do as he sees that we are trusting him to do it. That's a powerful truth. Let me conclude that there is so much to say about faith, and I, I know I'm probably barely scratching the surface. But let me say that faith is not an event. Faith is a moment-by-moment -moment experience. It is not based on merit. 
It is based on God's choice and blessing. Faith is a lifestyle. And faith is so important that God wanted us to know that without faith, we can't please him. We cannot. Now, regardless of our struggle with faith, God is always awaiting for us to partner with him, and faith is that common denominator that we need. His power is enough. His grace is sufficient, and he is able to do, the Bible says, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can even ask or think or dream of. He can do it. All of this requires faith. Faith and belief in God. The question should not be how big your faith is. The real question is, how big is your awareness of God? If you truly believe that you serve a big God that is all-powerful, and then we understand that there's nothing that he cannot do, then it's easier to have faith in that God. It's easier to trust that God, because there's nothing that he cannot do. Conversely, the smaller and the more limited is our faith in God, the, the smaller our vision of God, the less we will trust and have faith in him to accomplish what his word declares that he wants us to do. I want to challenge us today to work on our faith level. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you live in the Charlotte area, we encourage you to worship with us on Sundays at 10 a.m. We encourage you also to give to this ministry so we can continue spreading the gospel to our city and throughout the world. You can go to our website at missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Have a great rest of your week. God bless.